As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our check-in with the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations. Yes, it's the 21 edition because this tournament was supposed to be played last summer and COVID ruins everything as we all know. But just like a Sadio Mane 97th minute penalty, this tournament is better late than never and it's been very entertaining and often chaotic thus far in Cameroon. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is my matar who will talk about soccer near the equator, Taylor Rockwell. Wow. Yeah. Is that a, a shoehorn in reference to cars or the equator? <laughs> I'm very confused, Ryan Bailey. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> uh, how long did it take you to come up with that one? Uh, mere seconds. I, I, the <laughs> amount of time it just sounds like it deserves, Taylor, is the answer. That's, that's that. what I was figuring. <laughs> uh, Taylor, how are you, by the way? We, uh, you weren't on the weekend review this week. We haven't spoken this week. Um, talking about uh, soccer near the equator, different mm-hmm. weather situations in Richmond. How's the snow? Uh, snow is not bad in, in the city of Richmond. Surrounding areas, it was pretty bad. We have two more snowstorms coming, so we'll see how that goes. But the larger issue was daycare being closed. Uh, my wife, uh, this is the very busy time of her work schedule, which meant it was me and uh, our one-year-old hanging out all day. And it was as stressful as I imagined it would be. Yes, I can only imagine. Well, I can actually imagine, Taylor. I have a six- yeah. and eight-year-old home yeah. uh, for their second week from school because of uh, COVID situations. They're fine, by the way. It's uh, someone else in their class uh, has a situation. So, yeah, I'm, I'm putting teaching assistant on my resume, by the way. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that's good for you. And I, but I like that you can at least sort of give them stuff to do, give them assignments, or even just like plug them in front of a Disney movie. Whereas for me with a one-year-old, it feels like anytime I'm not actively paying attention to her, that's when she takes it upon herself to try to find the most dangerous thing she can at any given moment. And it does feel a little bit like she's daring me to not pay attention. And so I spent all of Monday <laughs> paying attention to her. Didn't feel like it would be great to have her sitting on my lap as we recorded a weekend review and she tried to distract. So I appreciate that you all gave me the day off. I thought it was a lovely episode. You all did a great job, especially Aww. talking AFCON and I was jealous and now I'm excited we get to talk about it today. 
We do indeed. And joining us to do so, Taylor, is a man who can give us the skinny on Equatorial Guinea and who will comment from afar <laughs> on the Cote d'Ivoire, Graham Rudman. <laughs> Very good, Ryan Bailey. That, 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 that is one of your, your finest examples, rhyming examples, I have to say. I, I'm applauding uh, off, off uh, I was going to say off camera, but no one is filming me right now. At least I hope not. It's, this is like when uh, I'm, I'm going to denigrate Americans slightly when they say that's hilarious and they don't laugh. You said I'm applauding and you're not applauding. Hey! <laughs> is that better? I, I have an American question for you all. Go speaking ahead. of that, is it is it an American thing to when someone says thank you to say mm-hmm? Yes. I wondered. I've been told that, and I've been told that's a strange response to like. That is a strange to, response. To I've not heard you. that. Mm-hmm. So, and also the other strange one, Taylor. You bet. It's oh like, yeah. Uh, well, I've heard that. that mean, for, does that mean that, I'm welcome? I don't know. Well, that's that's <laughs> a favorite of. Uh, our good friend, Mr. Joe Lowry's, he's, he'll say, he'll say you bet at the end of the podcast. So I've been introduced to that one, but he has never said, mm-hmm, <laughs> when, you, when you say goodbye to Ryan at the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm, yeah. Goodbye. Uh, mm-hmm. We can find out more about this on our new podcast, Americans Say the Darndest Things, uh, coming yeah. soon to the feed. In the meantime, we should probably talk about Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, we are in the midst of it. Uh, both of you, I have a surprise for you. I have a quiz. Okay. Quiz. I, I'm uh, listening. The the, the colour just drained from both uh, uh, Taylor and Graham's faces when I suggested a surprise quiz. But don't yeah, worry. Off camera. Um, this is just a very quick quiz. I've got multiple choice answers. There's no wrong answers apart from the two wrong answers for each question, gents. So um, I'll get straight into it. For the question for both of you: multiple choice. Which team is nicknamed the Nzlang National, which means the National Thunder? Who are the National Thunder? Is it A. Equatorial Guinea? B. Mauritania? Or C, the Gambia. Taylor, what do you think? I'm going to say the Gambia. Graham? I'm going to go with Mauritania, which I've only just learned how to pronounce correctly. B- we are off we to a recording. flying star, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> You're both oh, wrong. No. Equatorial Guinea yeah. is the answer. The National Thunder. Uh, Mauritania are the Lions of Chinghetti, which is an awesome nickname. Uh, the Gambia are the Scorpions. Even awesomer, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Question two. The Scorpions. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it sounds very eighties metal, doesn't it? I love it. Which team's um, called the Shrimps? <laughs> are there any, yeah, are there any shrimp-based teams in this one, Taylor? You, you, you'd know. You'd be the. <laughs> then authority. I'd be all over it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Question two. Uh, Comoros or the Comoros are in their first ever major tournament here. Where is Comoros? Is it? Ah. On the northern tip of the continent by Morocco, close to the Spanish Canary Islands, is it landlocked between the DRC and Zambia? Or is it little island near Madagascar? I, I, I know this one. I it's know this latter. one as well. Islands yeah. near Madagascar. Look at you, I, geography nerds. Well done. It's because I literally looked it up today because I was like, I have yeah. no idea where Com- Comoros is. And it <laughs> yeah. led to me reading a whole bunch about their history. It's a very interesting country. So there you go. We're, we're learning. Every day is a school day, Taylor. A uh, 719 square mile island population, 850,000, about the same as San Francisco. Did you know, Graham, it has two daily newspapers, its own TV station and two radio stations. Isn't that marvellous? If you say so, yeah. Yeah, I do. I do say so. <laughs> all right, one last question in the quiz. One last one for you. Who is the all-time AFCON top scorer? Is it A, Didier Drogba? Is it B, Samuel Eto'o? Or is it C, Rashidi Yakini, who is, for context, a Nigerian striker who played for Vittoria Setubal? And Hihon, he was 1993 African Player of the Year. A, B, or C? What do we think, Taylor? Can I stall for time and ask you one more time who, what those names were? 
Didier Drogba, Samuel uh-huh. Eto'o, Rashidi Yakini. Okay. I'm going to say Samuel Eto'o. I missed him the first time, and I thought it might be him. Wonderful. Graham? Uh, see, the last one feels like it, it's not someone I'm, I'm familiar with, so if, as, it would be strange if he is in there and it's not him, but I, I still think Eto'o, yeah. Oh, bingo, boys. You didn't fall for my red herring, my Yakini. Yes. Well done, both of you. Uh, Yakini is third highest scorer with 13 goals. Uh, Drogba is, uh, he is joint eighth with 11 goals. Samuel Eto, the leader, 18 of them AFCON goals for Samuel Eto. What do you think of the quiz, Taylor? Was that fun? I thought it was fun. It was, and since I answered the last one first and got it right, uh, I win. That's how it works, Graham. We all win. We all win. Everybody's a winner, <laughs> apart from me. anyway let's get into the uh the chat about this tournament we're in the uh as we record the 11th day i believe we're roughly halfway through three of six groups are concluded seven of 16 teams are in uh uh, are decided to go through to the knockout stages uh the round of 16 starts on january 23rd that's this coming sunday the final is february 6th and just a reminder of the structure it's quite similar to the euros 24 teams six groups of four Uh, the top two in each group go through to the round of 16 phase and the four best ranked third place teams i'll start off with a general question graham are you enjoying this tournament so far we've got some great stories we've got some uh some some emerging players and mm-hmm. some, uh, some some interesting headlines have come out so far what have you thought yeah very much enjoying it i i have to say that the initial phase of the tournament was slightly light on goals and and drama um, that that part maybe wasn't so enjoyable, but it seems like from the moment that the you had the episode of the referee blowing the whistle early twice in a match, that was a Tunisia versus Mali match. It seems like everything since then has uh, has been yeah fantastic and very entertaining. I thought last night's um, games in particular. So we're recording on Wednesday, so Tuesday night's games where when you had Comoros and and, and Ghana. Um, playing at the same time as the other game in that group, which I have forgotten who is in that group. Who is in that group again? Uh, that Cabo would be, and Morocco. That's correct. Yeah, and that game was 2-2. And you had Akraf Hakimi scoring a, a wonderful free kick to make it 2-2. Oh. And I did that thing where I, I kept on flicking between the two channels and missing every single goal. But it was still, I thought that was the best night of the tournament so far. It was There was a lot of entertainment there. Taylor, you loving it? Yeah, I, I think whenever we do... Whenever we're able to cover big tournaments in more detail, it's always more enjoyable because when you come into the tournament knowing the teams, knowing the key players, knowing how they're going to try to play, it gives you that background. We weren't able to do that with this competition, and so I think early on it was about figuring out who does what and which names do I know and which names do I need to know. And I think as the tournament's gone on, it's been more and more fun because once you build that familiarity, you sort of know what you're looking for, you have expectations, and then the tournament has done a good job of subverting those expectations pretty consistently. So I think it's been really fun, and I look forward to the conclusion of the group stage and the beginning of the knockout round. Plenty more to come. So on this pod, gents, let's go through each group and uh, take a little review and uh, see what's going on in each group. We'll start off with Group A. Uh, which is complete now. All three games, all three teams have been, all four teams have been played. The hosts, Cameroon and Burkina Faso, are through. Cape Verde are in third. They are top of the third team rankings at the moment. Ethiopia in fourth place are out. Uh, why don't we start with the host, Cameroon, Taylor? Very strong mm-hmm. home record they have. They did score four goals against Ethiopia, and I believe only Tunisia have also scored four goals in this tournament. They were among the favourites. Are you still feeling confident about them making a run, Tay Tay? 
I am. Uh, they were the team that I watched the first game of and then did not watch a ton of after that. Uh, I since have uh, to prepare for this episode, and I do feel more confident about what they're doing. I think it's just sometimes they can lull you into the need for sleep because they keep the ball, they keep it moving, but they are less creative once they get towards goal with with the caveat that they've scored a number of goals. They scored four against Ethiopia, as you said. They get two in the opener against Burkina Faso, though those are penalties. Uh, but to me, they do a really good job of getting the ball back. It seems like they press after possession loss, work really hard to win the ball back, and once <coughs> they do, they maintain possession. They'll go direct at times. They're obviously trying to find Abubakar, and I think thus far it has worked for them. So I think as long as they keep that, kind of defensive solidity and that they're able to keep possession, keep the ball moving and find those opportunities where they can. I think they have a good shot at making a run. Graham, we have some MLS interest in in this Cameroon team with Nuhu as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on what they're doing so far? Yeah, Cameroon, we were speaking about this before we started recording. They, they are a bit of a paradox along the lines of what Taylor was just saying there. They have scored quite a few goals in in, in this uh, tournament so far. Abubakar is currently the top goal scorer with five goals in three games. He scored in all three games. Obviously, both of his goals in the first uh, match, the, the tournament opener, came from the penalty spot. So it's it's difficult. That's maybe not the clearest gauge of how they play as a side, the number of goals they have scored, because as Taylor says, sometimes they can be quite conservative. I do like the the look of their, their midfield, in particular Anguissa, is, I think has had a, a very good tournament so far. He gives them kind of that structure and energy in the centre of the pitch. I am a big fan of Akambe, who's been playing out on the on the left side. He he's had a he's had a good tournament, a decent tournament so far, but it does feel like maybe he can he can high, reach a higher level in the knockout rounds. And then as you say, the MLS interest in this side, uh, Nuhu, who um is obviously of Seattle Sounders fame. He's been he's been impressive for Cameroon in the three matches they've played. He's been playing on the left side of a, of a back four, which is obviously slightly different to his um, to his left sided centre back role he plays for the Sounders. But obviously he was converted to that role, so he's just kind of going back to his natural position, I guess you could say. And and I think that just demonstrates what an adaptable player he is. He gives them a lot on the left side, both in an attacking sense and also in a in a defensive sense as well. So he has been a, a standout player, and I think Seattle. It wouldn't surprise me if his stock is rising to the point where Seattle are getting offers for him. Taylor, any any thoughts on any players who've caught your eye on any other players on Cameroon or anyone else in Group A who's caught your eye, perhaps? I mean, I think uh, Frank Zambo and Gisa is always worth mentioning just for what he does for them in terms of being that not necessarily a midfield conductor, but I, I feel like I tend to see him getting on the ball, moving into positions where he can get the ball and almost being that midfielder who will cover 20, 20 yards to pick it up off a center back or to pick it off of like one of the fullbacks and then turn and carry into the midfield and then find a pass. And I think he is sort of a good driving engine for this Cameroon team. I think I just like, I, I remain slightly confused by them because it feels dismissive to say like, I, I'm not quite sure how good they are still with them topping this group, with them being convincing, with them scoring goals. I think it is just the sort of directness of the attack and how sometimes it seems slightly disjointed. That would be my only concern about them. But I, I do have a significant amount of love for Nuhu. My daughter has an elephant named Nuhu, and now she might have to dress up in Cameroon colors for their knockout round game. So <laughs> I still feel like they will make a run. I won't be surprised if they make it all the way to the final. They've got the home support behind them as well, and that can't hurt either. Uh, Graham, was this a weak group in terms of, I mean, Ethiopia didn't 
offered. Oh, they, they did get a draw, of course, in this in in their final game uh, against Burkina Faso. But uh, have Cameroon been challenged? Would you say? Um, obviously, in their in their last in their last game there in the group, you know, drew with with Cape Verde, and and I think Cape Verde in 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 general, they're one of the teams who are obviously waiting to find out whether they have progressed or not. They got the win against Ethiopia in their in their in their um their first game. They then lose to Burkina Faso just just one nil, so that's quite a narrow game as well. And then one all against Cameroon. So it, it's certainly true that there isn't another heavyweight in this group in the same way that there are in other groups where there's two heavyweights and Cameroon have maybe been allowed to ease themselves into the tournament slightly. But I think it's maybe not that I'm suggesting you were doing this, but I think it's maybe slightly dismissive to say there's there isn't quality in this in this group because um, I do think there has been quality watching some of the teams. Um, mm. Cape Verde in particular have I thought have uh, acquitted themselves pretty well. I think my, my maybe my question came from a point that Ethiopia weren't good, Graham. <laughs> fair, fair, fair <laughs> enough. Um, Taylor, any, anything else on Group A, or should we move on to the next group? Yeah, I think we can move. Let's do it. Group B, uh, Senegal and Guinea are through in that one in the top two spots. Uh, Malawi can be the third place team. Uh, they can go through as a third place team. They are owners. Taylor, you sent a group to uh, a picture to our group uh, chat earlier of their squad numbers, Malawi. Oh, uh, yeah. Can you wow. tell us about them? I mean, they're just enormous, and I'm into it, uh, because there's so many times we've talked about this in past tournaments. Teams have numbers that are either too small, or the font doesn't stand out, or the color scheme doesn't work, and it makes it impossible to see what the numbers are. I love that Malawi have gone the opposite route and made them as enormous as possible, and oftentimes in clashing colors as well. So you can definitely tell who is on the pitch, but I, I guess also the downside of that would be uh, if you are trying to like not let the referee keep track of you and what you're doing in a game, then maybe having gigantic red numbers might be a giveaway when he's trying to remember. Yeah, number seven has done that a couple times when that number seven is in size 400 font. Yeah, it's a good design feature. I like it a lot. I, I wish we saw it more often. Um Zimbabwe are in fourth place in or they finished fourth place in this group they're out they were the first team to be eliminated in fact when they lost to Malawi last week even though they did win their final game we should probably start the conversation with Senegal though Graham uh, they mm-hmm. are through despite scoring just one goal the aforementioned yeah. 97th minute penalty in their opening game um the, is it is it right that they've gone through? It feels it feels very Portugal Euro twenty sixteen to to go through like that. They're one of the favourite tor- uh, uh, teams of this tournament from the outset. Uh, they are, to be fair, they've got a good defence. They're the only team that's yet to concede in this entire tournament. But uh, got to score a few more goals, haven't they, Graham? Yeah, I think that's the headline of their tournament so far is struggling for goals. And they were expected to be one of the strongest teams at this tournament. And and they, they're still in, a rel- in relatively decent shape. And as you say, they've they've not lost. They've they've won one, drawn two, um, haven't conceded yet, but have only scored one. Um, and and as you say, that one goal comes from a, a penalty kick in the sixth minute of stoppage time. So they haven't scored an open in open play yet. And I think when you look at the setup of, of Senegal, and I, I, I looked through... I mean, I, I've watched a couple of their games anyway in this tournament live, and and I also looked through some of their their stats and their tactical uh, sheets and so on, and who's on, on who scored. And when you look at the setup of Senegal, they are clearly set up to try and harness Sadio Mane, who is the, you know, they've got a talented squad, but he is the superstar of of this squad, and that he's he's one of the best players in the world. And they play in this four three three shape with Mane. He has sometimes played in the left, but he's he's most commonly played through the middle in this tournament. 
And I think that's just because, you know, he's he's the best goal scorer they have and they want to get him in as many goal scoring positions as possible. Um, but their midfield three in their last game in particular against Malawi was Koyate, uh, Mendy and uh, Idrisagana Gay. That is a solid, protective midfield three, but I don't see much creativity in that in that midfield. And Liverpool, obviously, where Manny plays, and they play in a 4-3-3 as well, their midfield can be you know solid rather than creative as well, but they obviously have the fullbacks that make up for that any lack of creativity in the centre of the pitch. And Senegal don't really have that to the same extent. So basically, their attack, and Manny in particular, and the games that I've watched, have, have been pretty isolated. Um... So it becomes a case of, well, how do you solve that? If they want to stick with the the three quality players in the centre of the pitch, which I could understand why they want to do that because they are a very solid team and obviously they are three very experienced, um, high-quality players. Maybe maybe you switch switch the system. I was thinking maybe you could get wing backs involved and maybe push your push your full backs further up the pitch. So that's where you're getting the width. That's where you're getting the creativity. Or you just try and, as you say, Ryan, uh, Portugal your way all the way through this tournament. I guess once you get into the knockout rounds, not scoring goals now that they're through the group, um, not scoring goals isn't the biggest issue given that you can win games without scoring goals. So that could be an option for them as well. I mean, that is a a valid option in tournament soccer, is it not, Graham? As I say, I I say it slightly facetiously about Portugal, but uh, the the teams who do well in tournaments tend not to be the ones who win games by four in the last minute. It's ones who, who get through with solid defending. Yeah, the teams that the teams that win international tournaments so tend to be the ones that are good in defence, and Senegal are. So may, maybe they don't need to change anything at all. And I'm talking rubbish. Yeah, my Seneg- my my contrasting opinion would be that like I would agree with you all if they had scored more than one goal, which was a penalty, as we've already said a couple of times. And <laughs> I, I think I, I say that to say that like you can you can definitely grind your way through, especially as you get to the knockout round. If teams start to feel the pressure and they're pushing for their own winner, then you can capitalize and maybe find that space, find that opportunity on the counter. But also we can see teams grind their way through regulation and extra time. And if you're relying on penalties, and if that happens a couple different times, it does end up feeling more like a coin flip than it is uh, like decided tactics. And so to Graham's point, looking at like I think against Malawi in the second half at one point, late in the second half in like the 68th minute, I think they had something like 78% possession, but an equal number of shots to Malawi. And to me, that says there is that kind of lack of creativity, that inability to find clear-cut goal-scoring chances on a consistent basis. I think if they can get a couple more of those, if they can score a goal or two to open the knockout round, I will feel much better about Senegal than I do right now. That might also be because I had really high hopes for them, and I thought they were going to be this kind of freewheeling attacking team with a really solid defensive foundation. The solid defensive foundation has been the case, less so the freewheeling attack, and I would like that to maybe open up a bit more, or maybe they do just end up grinding their way to the final. Uh, either way, I'm glad that Senegal have made it to the next part of this competition. I just hope that they uh, they lighten it up a little bit more after that. <laughs> Taylor, that um, possession to shots ratio sounds yeah. very Spain to me. Right? Yeah. Which is, like, but then Spain, I guess, yeah, that's a good analogy, because then Spain sometimes end up grinding their way through and opening up and winning games in convincing fashion, and other times they get knocked out of tournaments in fairly unceremonious fashion. So I guess we'll just have to wait to see which Spain Senegal are going to be. Uh, Graham, we've, we're 20 minutes into this podcast and we haven't discussed kits yet, apart from uh, Malawi's large numbers. Uh, <laughs> I understand you've got a favourite in this group. Yeah, so there are a lot of good kits at AFCON this year, by the way. 
um, as there usually is at this tournament. But I think Zimbabwe's edges it over everyone else's. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, it features uh, it's it's yellow with red, orange, green, and black sort of tears is how I would describe it um, down the the chest, starting from the shoulder. So it's kind of got that sash quality. It's not it's not a sash. It doesn't go all the way. But it's it's got that quality, and obviously the colours reflect the the country's flag, and it's it's bold and very distinctive, and no one else has that look, and it's very clearly uh, Zimbabwean, and it's very well executed, and yeah, so it's my favourite. I had to I've, I've I had to create a list, and there was a, a number on there. Nigeria is they're always up there. I think their kits for this tournament are really good, both the home and away. I like the away as well. Cape Verde, I think I might have already said on this podcast, Cape Verde is, is, is very nice, the blue one with the, the gold trim. But Zimbabwe takes the number one spot. They do indeed, but they take the number four spot in Group B. So they are very much going home uh, from this tournament. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll move on to Group C. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking Africa Cup of Nations Group C. Morocco and Gabon are through in this group. Uh, Gabon are through without the assistance of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who has made his exit from the tournament um, reportedly due to medical reasons. Um, it, it seems there's cardiac lesions, the reports say, which is due to the COVID case that he had. There's also some rumours circulating that there might be other extracurricular reasons for his uh, absence, but we won't speculate upon that those uh big story in this group though uh perhaps Comoros coming through in third place here uh dramatic 3-2 win over 10-man Ghana on Tuesday the BBC calling this one of the biggest shocks in AFCON history that game uh mentioning Ghana there finishing bottom <laughs> who saw that coming a humili- humiliating humiliating exit for them uh, at the hands of Comoros this one the four-time champions it's the first time Ghana have failed to win at least one group uh, group stage match in 22 appearances in this tournament Taylor that's pretty shocking isn't it Ghana with a lot of top tier talent in their side to go out in this manner yeah my predictions haven't been great for this tournament so far group C is the one where I really Got it wrong. Because I was thinking Ghana might be poised for a strong run. That was definitely not the case. I thought Gabon might sort of crumble pretty quickly because of uh, Aubameyang, because of some issues with their federation. That has not been the case either. So very wrong across the board on this one. But watching the Ghana's 3-2 loss to Comoros, that game was awesome. That might be my favorite game of the tournament so far. Uh, Because... 
Ghana going going down. Uh, they fight back. I think they go what, down 2-0. They fight back to 2-2. That's with the red card to Andre Ayew. Then uh, it ends up being uh, Ahmed Monyi getting his second goal of the game, the very late winner. And it felt fitting for the way this tournament has gone for Ghana. A Ghana team that I thought would be stronger did have enough talent there to at the very least make it out, out of the knockout round. To me, this sort of signifies... There are major major issues with the Ghana national team that will have to be dealt with. I think it will probably need to do some chopping and changing, some getting in some new names, because the AU brothers, for example, who I thought would be able to thrive, would have a strong tournament, have done the opposite of that. Andre, especially with the red card, I think it just has not been the tournament I was expecting from Ghana. And I do have, I don't know, I think it's because of how many times the U.S. played them in World Cups and historically, I, there's a soft spot in my heart for Ghana for the Black Stars, and I was sad to see them have the tournament they have had, but it does mean that we've gotten other teams rising to the occasion, Morocco and Gabon, but even Comoros as well in that third place spot. Seems very unlikely uh, or completely unlikely that they will make it to the knockout round as one of the best fourth place finishers, but still a win over Ghana is probably a good way to end this tournament for them. Definitely. Graham, what did you think about Ghana finishing bottom of the pile? That wasn't one we predicted before this tournament started. No, it, it certainly wasn't. And obviously they are one of the, the sort of African heavyweights. So we expected that they would probably make the make it out of the groups at least. But in hindsight, you know, looking at their team now, I think going it's very similar to what Taylor's saying there. You know, it seems like maybe they, they do have a rebuild ahead of them. You know, you look at the even just on an individual basis and there was there was a lot wrong from a tactical point of view with their performances. You know, they switched systems between the first game and the second game. You and the third game, you look at the the difference between their first game, they lose one nil to Morocco, they're very kind of um stagnant, I think it's fair to say. And then in the last game it was like all structure was out the window entirely. Yep. So there's a lot of tactical issues with this team as well. But as, as on an individual basis as well, if you compare it to some of the other heavyweights in this competition, you know, your Ivory Coasts, your Nigeria, your Senegals, etc. I think they are um lacking on talent as well and and I think that is embodied by the EU brothers who obviously have been excellent performers for for Ghana and are proven at the highest level but they they're maybe getting on a little bit now and maybe some new ideas are needed Thomas Partey is maybe the the biggest name in that team right now that you'd say he's doing it at a high level in the peak of his career at this moment you know Amarte is is a decent player as well in center back but other than that, it, it does feel like a replenishment is kind of needed of this squad over the next few years. Yeah, no parties in Ghana apart from Thomas, of course. Um, we mentioned the 3 2 win Boo. for Comoros over Ghana. <laughs> Sorry about that, I had to get on it. Um, <laughs> Comoros' 3 uh, 2 win over Ghana on Tuesday. Graham, there was another pretty wild game that evening, uh, also between Gabon and Morocco. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned that earlier in the pod. That, that For me, this was the, the best night of the whole tournament. So you had uh, a 2-2 draw between Gabon and, and, and Morocco. I like a lot of what I see from Morocco. And obviously, they have those those big names. And, and your eye is, is is drawn to, in particular, Ahraf Hakimi. Sorry, I don't know why I struggled with that so much. That's a player I've spoken about many times before. Um and yeah, it's not so much of a surprise that he is a key player for Morocco. He scored a magnificent free kick in this in this game against Gabon. Question marks over the over the goalkeeping, perhaps he seemed to go with two hands rather than maybe one hand might have been better. But nonetheless, it's right in the in the far corner of the net. This this free free kick, and I think Hakimi has been one of Morocco's standout performers in all three games um, that they've played. He's doing that thing that he tends to do, where he is a 
a whole wing in one man and it's such an advantage for a team where you can basically just leave a, a whole side to him and, and his attacking output certainly is is incredible. Um, and then obviously Morocco have, we haven't seen the best of Youssef Enyaseri yet, um, who obviously is the, the, the severe striker, watched lots of him in, um, in, uh, in La Liga. He hasn't really hit, hit top gear yet, but I think if, if he, if they can get Hakimi and Enyaseri on the same page, that's the sort of, you know, in international football, if you have one or two relationships, that can be enough to tip a team over the edge. So I'll be looking out for that in, in the in knockout rounds because I think that could be the thing that, at the moment, I think Morocco, from what I've seen, in the, seen of them, are like a second-tier team. They're not quite up there with the Nigeria mm-hmm. and the, maybe even Senegal's in terms of their defensive prowess, but they could make that step up, I think. So on, on Tuesday when we had these two cracking games, I chose to watch Brighton-Chelsea, the two <laughs> dr- drawingest teams that ever drawed. Congratulations to me. <laughs> Graham, um, you, you mentioned uh, Hakimi there. Like With these tournaments, with, with big tournaments, you, you sometimes get the big names sort of rising to the occasion, and then you get the opposite of that when the big mm-hmm. name doesn't have the tournament we expected, underperforms, and the team crashes out. Would you say Hakimi, of all the big names in this tournament, is the one who is sort of... Like backing up the billing thus far. Um, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, I, th- I think that's probably right. I mean, Nigeria, I've got a few big names who are performing sure. well. Uh, I think that's fair, but I, uh, I I would say Hakimi's maybe a bigger name than who is playing well for Nigeria, if that makes sense. And he he's playing yeah. really well, so yeah, I would I would probably agree with that. Yeah, he's he's living up to his billing. And this is, again, that Morocco team that uh, Vahid Halihodzic decided to leave out some of their best players. No Zayek, no Mazraoui, no Amin Harit. So it does feel like he's kind of given the keys to Hakimi, especially when it comes to free kicks. And I like that Hakimi has also taken that sort of approach of just give me the ball and let me shoot and I will make yeah. things happen. And that's all that we need to do. And then see the thing with that Zayek um, omission, we are obviously... I still think it doesn't really make much sense. You'd maybe want him in the squad as an option. Yep. But basically, given that his his role is tends to be on the right side of, of a front three, it kind of makes sense that he's not involved because you basically just want everyone out of Hakimi's way on that right side. <laughs> and so Ziek might just congest things a little bit. But yeah, maybe have him on the bench maybe. would be an idea. <laughs> maybe but, just oh well. maybe. Seems like a good weapon to have to me. Um, before we leave this group, Graham, just a quick uh, further note on Comoros, who um, I- I'm geographically ignorant. I don't think I'd even heard yeah. of Comoros before this tournament, if I'm completely honest. But um, it's been a, one of those really fun stories. And there's a good chance, well, there's a medium chance, I'll say, of them going through to the knockout stage based on their third place ranking. Yep. Yeah, so you you beat me to my confession as well. And full honesty, this was a country to my shame I I hadn't heard of before Afcon, and um, maybe that makes me ignorant. And I apologise if that's the case. I like to think I'm pretty good with geography, but yeah, not somewhere that I knew of. But they epitomise why Afcon is so special. This is their first ever Africa Cup of Nations, and now after that win over Ghana, they hadn't scored a goal at Afcon until they then scored three against one of the, the heavyweights of African football. They're now, you know, their manager and their players are now talking about aiming for the World Cup. And that might seem ridiculous, but there's precedent for it where you have smaller nations who use AFCON as, as, a, as a platform. They then get established at that level and then they go on to, to bigger and uh, bigger things. And, you know, I think that's great. And I think that shows how this tournament can accelerate the mobility of some of the smaller nations. You know, the World Cup might be a way off for them right now, 
but it might not be in you know 10 years to come or whatever and as i say it gives them a, a platform and maybe even more valuable it gives them inspiration as a football nation you know all the it's a cliche but you know all, all the children that will have watched that you know then that's now you, you can't be what you can't see and now they've seen their team go to the africa cup nations and get a big win against a big team so yeah i think it's great yeah, it's in the hands of groups D, E and F as to whether Comoros do go through with their third place ranking. Good luck to them. Tate, anything else on Group C before we head on? Yeah, I wanted to go back to Gabon really, really briefly just to mention uh, that I thought, as I said, they would they would crumble a bit. They've been without Aubameyang. That has not been a problem. And I would argue it has not been a problem because they have a front two that is functioning. Ghana uh, had the AU brothers who could not get it together. But with Gabon, we have uh, Aaron Bupenza of Al-Arabi and Jim Alavina of Claremont. And I think that Front two has been super fun to watch. I think Gabon on, on the whole are really fun to watch. I like Gaylor Kanga in the middle. Uh, he will hit that 40-yard free kick if he wants to, and he will put it on frame and force a save somehow. But uh, Bupenza, skillful, quick-footed, very strong in the box, can hold off a defender and still get a shot. He forces the own goal uh, in, in their game against Ghana, I believe it was. And then Alavina, two goals and assists, sort of, because he forces that own goal to happen as well. But just hardworking and... I have him as like a chaos thriver. Like he just creates chaos. He hassles people. He puts in challenges. He's running everywhere. And I feel like he's very difficult to track, difficult to mark and makes that team super fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to their knockout round game. And I won't be surprised if they get past Burkina Faso and Gabon make it to at least the quarterfinals. Wonderful stuff. Group D is still in progress. Uh, the final group game is going to be played on this very Wednesday as we record. Uh, as we record, though, Nigeria are in top spot. They are assured to advance to the knockout round. Egypt in second, Guinea-Bissau third, and Sudan fourth. This group, Taylor, wide open. All three other teams can qualify. They can. It feels, uh, with that said, that Nigeria have very much cemented that top spot. I would fully expect Nigeria to get their win on the final day as well, because they have been really, really comprehensively good. I think they are my favorites to win this competition. But yeah, without Nigeria in the conversation, uh, Egypt doing Egypt things. I thought they would be better. I was wrong. Uh, getting in Sudan also in the conversation, but it does feel like it will end up being Nigeria and Egypt advancing, but then I would fully expect Nigeria to make a much deeper run than Egypt because Egypt remain a team built around Mohamed Salah, and I thought that would be to their benefit this time around. It does not feel like it is thus far. Graham, it feels like we're shaking out a few serious contenders so far in this pod. Do you place Nigeria among them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with Taylor. They are the not just the the best team in terms of their individual quality I've seen so far, but just in terms of the, their their structure. Um, they started their campaign with a, a one nil win over Egypt, which obviously was the the first sort of heavyweight clash of the tournament. Kind of laid in a marker. They then backed that up with a three one win over Sudan, which was really pretty comfortable for them. And I like this system they're using, this four two 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 system. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we've spoken a bit about that shape on this podcast recently with Ranić taking over at Manchester United. And well, um, if Ranić, who's already abandoned that system, by the way, yesterday he was speaking about going to a four three three. I think it was. If right. he's looking for evidence on <laughs> on how it can work, um, Nigeria are showing him how how it can work. Um, I think it gives them a lot of control, but it doesn't keep them too rigid. I think you still give freedom to the to the likes of uh, Sammy Chukwueze. There's a lot of mobility there. I think Chukwueze has has. I'm a big fan of his in general. I watched a lot of him in in La Liga. 
I think he's got huge potential. Uh, I expect he'll make a big move at some point in his in his career. Not that Villarreal are, are you know a small club; they are competing at a high level. But I'm talking to a, one of the super clubs. I expect him to get to that level at some point. And it's just been fun to see him play well in this in this tournament. Um, he's looked really dangerous. I thought he was um, arguably the the best player on the pitch against Sudan. Although um, Moses Simon also had a, a, an excellent game in that one. He's been really good in that in that Nigeria midfield. And then another player I wanted to mention who I have been keeping a close eye on because of his links to Scotland is Joe Aribo. So he, of course, plays for Rangers and he's been very good in both games that he's played for Nigeria. I think he's perfect for that 4-2-2-2 system. He's been playing alongside Ndidi, which is a slightly deeper role to the one he plays for Rangers. He's, He's more advanced for Rangers. But I, th- I think he still has the freedom to get forwards and, and his performances at this level have just confirmed to me that Rangers have a real player on their hands. I expect that he will probably leave Rangers in, in the summer, um, probably for the Premier League. And I think when he does that, they'll get a good transfer fee for him. I I mean, I already liked what I saw from Aribo, but his performances have just kind of confirmed to me it's not Rangers that are making him good. He's actually just a good player for everyone, including Nigeria. Graham, I- I totally agree with you about Aribo, and I think it's a credit to him and to uh, Nigeria's manager, Augustine Aguavan. I apologize if I butchered that one, uh, that he also has adaptability when it comes to that system because against Sudan, once Nigeria were up 1-0, the game, I think, lost a little bit of the energy, and that was also the case for Egypt at times. It felt like kind of both teams were feeling each other out. Inacio gets the goal, and then it was a little bit static. And in both of those games, I saw them push Aribo further up the pitch, and Ndidi basically was allowed to conduct the midfield as he wanted to, to turn uh, with passes from the center backs and then play forward. And it felt like once they recognized that defenses are sitting off or giving them a little bit of time on the ball, they are happy to take that time and change the structure just a little bit so that they can get more attackers into more threatening positions and just get for more no- more numbers further forward. And I think that adaptability, that ability to adjust as they need to, because then as the flow of the game changes and maybe Egypt are pressing for an equalizer, that's where Ariba will like play deeper as he was at the start of the game. But sort of that flexibility is so important once we move into the knockout rounds, and I think Nigeria are well poised to take advantage of that. Uh, Taylor, a question for you. If we Mm -hmm. were to establish an AFCON fun-to-watch index and we put maybe Senegal somewhere near the base, where Mm -hmm. does Nigeria appear on said index? Probably top. I I think because they have so many attackers, as Graham mentioned, but there's so many interesting stories as well that I, I, I find them to be one of those teams that once you start reading about them, you can spend a good hour just reading about individual players. Taiwo uh, Awaniyi is one who I knew the name, I think maybe because of FIFA, but I didn't know much about him. And I ended up reading basically his entire Wikipedia and then a couple other things. I found it really interesting. He joined Liverpool in August of 2015. He was sold to Union Berlin this past summer. In the intervening years, he was loaned seven times, plays for seven different clubs on loan, never plays for Liverpool, now has nine goals and 17 appearances for Union Berlin, and is a very important player for uh, Nigeria, and I think has very few appearances, like maybe only three or 13, or it's a limited number for a player of his caliber, and I just think you've got personalities, you've got uh, fairly big names, you've got a lot of talent, and then you still have moments of uncertainty where you will have a center back fall over out of nowhere because the pitch is terrible. And so you still get that unpredictability as well. But I think Nigeria are near the top, if not top, of that index. 
Graham, we are recording uh, just before Egypt take on Sudan. It looks like Egypt are probably going to clinch second place in Group D. Your thoughts on them having only scored one goal from their first two games from some guy called Mo Salah. Um, how do you like their chances? Um, yes, yeah, it's... it's... <sighs> I don't know how to answer that about Egypt, to be perfectly honest. I think it's difficult to to judge them so far. It feels like they're doing that classic major tournament thing of starting quite slowly and growing into the tournament, but we have we've yet to see we've yet to see them do the latter part and so you don't know whether they're just starting slowly and oh wait they finished slowly as well and now they're out <laughs> um maybe that maybe that'll happen um as they move into the knockout rounds I, th- I think you know their passage into the knockout rounds they can be pretty sure of that but they they do have quality you know Salah is the notable example but Mohamed El Nene Higazi as well you know Carlos Queres their 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 head coach is a an experienced manager, to say the least, at international <laughs> level. That's <laughs> how I'm going to describe him. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, as others may call him a journeyman. Uh, not me, of course. <laughs> experienced at international level is uh, his tagline. But it, it just feels to me like there may be an, an transition, Sim- similar to what I said about Ghana, where they just maybe need some new ideas and, and it feels like as Taylor referenced earlier, they are banking a lot on Salah and for him not just to provide goals, but just set the tone. And they've, they've changed their tactical structure. I was reading pretty much to suit him to try and make it as similar as, as his role to Liverpool. But the rest of the players around him are not really Liverpool standard. So it's, it's, there's, there's, it's quite disjointed at times. So I, I don't know as, as the honest answer. Um, and, and maybe we'll never know how good Egypt are. They could be one of those teams at a tournament that just kind of go out with a, a whimper. I think that's a possibility. Do you all know, you know, in basketball, forgive me, cause I'm not a basketball like, uh, knowledge haver. That's the term. Uh, yep. but you, you have a limited time once you inbound the ball to get it past, uh, half court, correct? Sure. All right. Okay. Um, well, uh, to extend this uh, analogy that none of us are entirely sure of, uh, e- Egypt play as though, let's say it's like 10 seconds to get it up. I think it's like five, but it might be 10. Like Egypt will pass the ball around like under their rim for the first nine seconds of that. And then they're just like, well, we got one second left. Hoof it long. That's what I see from them in every single game or not every single game, but a lot of the time. It's sort of slow possession out of the back into theoretically midfield, but they kind of move the ball there, they'll string passes together, and then inevitably a midfielder or a fullback just pings that ball along, usually for Mohamed Salah or an on-rushing sort of wide attacker. But there's not a lot of like creativity through the middle. They don't have a player but, who seems comfortable turning under pressure and distributing the ball and keeping possession central. It seems like they end up going long almost every time, and I but, think that makes it just very disjointed from start to finish. But that, that's what, that's what I mean, Taylor, by like, they're, they, they have, it's like they've watched the Liverpool match once and they're like, yep. well, Virgil van Dyke sends long balls into Salah. <laughs> so we're just going to do that. It's like Let's if you ordered Liverpool off, um, you know, that site Wish that you see the, the things. <laughs> advertised online and, and they're nothing like what, yep. what the the brand version is yeah egypt or liverpool if you order them off wish there we oh. go <laughs> so group d contains knockoff liverpool there we have it there we there have we it go. <laughs> uh, that's group d group e in my opinion is the most interesting group by some distance let's tackle that after this quick pause 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. AFCON Group E, the group of interestingness, if you will. The final group games of this group are taking place on Thursday. Ivory Coast atop. They are guaranteed at least third place uh, in this one. Equatorial Guinea in second, thanks to a sensational win over Algeria. And Sierra Leone are in third. Uh, they've been called the story of the tournament in this one. Two draws they've uh, gotten and taken two points from the Ivory Coast and Algeria. Touted as two of the strongest teams in on the continent before this tournament they've got a very impressive story um algeria though one word for them taylor yikes final game for them on thursday against the ivory coast this is a really well poised group because every team in it needs points on this final day and yeah that that's a blockbuster ivory coast versus algeria or is it I, I think it is. I think it could be. And then I'm going to be disastrously wrong when Ivory Coast win this 3-0. But Algeria, <laughs> I am completely confused by this Algeria team because they do have uh, talent and they obviously have standout figures like Riyad Mahrez. But when you look at their games and the stats behind them, it gets very confusing very quickly. Against Equatorial Guinea, they have 69% possession. Against Sierra Leone at 66. They completed 351 passes in one game, 433 in the other to each time the opponent had like maybe like 150 or thereabouts. So they're dominating possession, they're dominating passes, they're significantly dominating chances created in both games, and yet they're not able to convert those. And I can't tell for the life of me if that is them just misfiring and not playing as a unit, or if that is sort of teams being defensive, frustrating them, and they haven't quite clicked. And I think that makes it poised for a very interesting game against Ivory Coast because though they're, they are top, uh, Le Elephant, uh, there's my French pronunciation on the one word that I can Très pronounce bon. sort Très of bon. correctly, uh, they're not in a position where they can rest on their laurels if – Let's say Sierra Leone or Equatorial Guinea were to win. I think and Algeria were to get a win. It could cause some problems for Ivory Coast. So they're going to come into this one fully ready to go. Algeria needing the full win. I'm, I don't know if it will click and it will be this kind of back and forth with goals in it or if it will continue to be no goals scored but lots of opportunities for Algeria and then Ivory Coast get one or two in that game. It could go either way and I think that's what makes it a really, really fascinating one for me. Oh. Algeria are averaging more shots per game than yeah. any other team in this competition so, so far. And they have been the biggest flop of the competition so far, obviously, as the holders sitting bottom of their group after two games. They are a difficult one to work out. But if I'm, if I'm going to make a prediction, just because of the way Ivory Coast are probably 
you know, maybe maybe that they're not going to be as motivated as, as they might have been in other circumstances for that final group game. I think Algeria are going to squeak through with a win, and I think it's going to maybe not come good for them. I'm not saying that all their problems are going to be solved, but I, th- I think they'll get a result and they'll and they'll go through. Just because if they're if they're aver- averaging that many shots per game, they're creating chances, they're having a good share of possession. You know, they're al- also averaging. I think it's the top, yeah, the top share of possession in the tur- in the tournament as well. So they're they're controlling games and they're creating chances and they're taking shots, but they're not getting results. It's it's a weird one, and I think at some point it, there will be a course correction of 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 some kind. It's it's a weird group, groupy, because yeah. as we say, Algeria are bottom with one point. But if they do, if my math is correct, if they beat Ivory Coast two nil, they can win the group. If Equatorial Guinea don't win, so it's kind of crazy Take yeah it. no i mean i mean it, i think it's even one nil would put them ahead of ivory coast because that would put them both on four points and then they would both have a zero goal difference i'm assuming then it goes to either goals scored or head to head i'm not sure yeah. what the next tiebreaker is but yeah there's a real realistic possibility in which if equatorial guinea were to get a draw then we have and algeria win ivory coast lose we have three teams on four points and there's a lot of tie breaking to be done uh but i'm hoping that equatorial guinea lose to sierra leone not because i have any beef with equatorial guinea but because i really want sierra leone to continue their run they've been such a great story you all talked about it on weekend review i'm hoping they stay alive in this competition at the expense of equatorial guinea but either way i think this group is going to be very interesting because it could look exactly as it does on the final day after the final day or it could look completely different, and that is great for neutrals, maybe less so for people who have a rooted interest in any one of these teams. Yeah, how about uh, Sierra Leone, Graham? They, they they have been called the story of the tournament, as I say. That game against the Ivory Coast uh, at the weekend, the 2-2 with, uh, with the 93rd mm-hmm. minute equaliser, was a brilliant game. And also, was it just me, Graham, or were you surprised when Stephen Corker showed up in this in this side? Um, you know, <laughs> he's players. mentioned it. Graham's mentioned that like twice in different shows. It's like Stephen Corker <laughs> plays for them somehow. Like, <laughs> it's it's always a throwaway line from Graham, and it always makes me happy what it is. It's wild. He was in the Team GB team for the Olympics. Yeah, he has had a really weird international career because he actually played for England in the same. Uh, 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 this isn't in my research, so I'm flying a little bit here, but I think he played in the same game that Wilfred Zaha played for England as well oh, in a friendly and obviously friendlies don't you know lock you into a national team so that is bizarre that they're now playing in the same Africa Cup of Nations for two, for two different nations um, Stephen Cocker yeah he played for Team GB he's got an England friendly cap to his name he was also meant to be called into a Scotland squad once until he got injured um, so he was ready to commit to Scotland and now he's playing for Sierra Leone yeah. bizarre I think um, if my research is correct, he's also from Staines, like Ali G, so he might also be in the Staines Massive, which is another thing to put on his, <laughs> on his resume. Uh, but Graham, uh, Sierra Leone, uh, what do you think of their story here? Yeah, so um, I'm probably going to repeat a, a bit of what I said on Weekend Review, but if um, listeners didn't catch Weekend Review, they are, they are a great story. They haven't been at Africa Cup of Nations since 1996. Um, obviously, Sierra Leone is a country we associate with um, not so savory things I think it's fair to say you know a country that became synonymous with tragedy and conflict and more recently um, Ebola um, and all the way through their squad there, there's great stories um, you have um, the goalkeeper Mohamed Kamara who's been one of the, the stars of the tournament so far for me he picked up Man of the Match award for his performance in the first game against Algeria 
he bursts into tears when he is handed that award. Um, and then in the next game against Ivory Coast, he saves a penalty from Frank Kessie. Um He can be a little bit unorthodox at times, I think it's fair to say. But what I like about him is everything he does is about keeping the ball out of the net. And he doesn't care much <laughs> for convention. He doesn't care if the technique of what he's doing isn't particularly spot on. If he keeps the ball out of the net, well, I've done my job. And I like that about him. Um, so, yeah, he and the the... Another player called Kamara, Musa Noah Kamara, they play domestic football in Sierra Leone. There are a number of players who play in the domestic league here. And that domestic league was basically shut down during the Ebola crisis in, in that country. Um, football as a whole was pretty much shut down um, all the way throughout that country. I'm not just talking about clubs, talking about youth systems, academies, everything. And so that this has this has happened now, and that out of those circumstances, you know, you have a national team that is succeeding at the top level of African football. I, I just think is 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 fantastic. And then weirdly, you also have kind of a London-born contingent, which includes um, Kevin Wright, who used to, who came through the system at Chelsea, um, Osman Kakai of of uh, QPR, uh, Sulai Sulai Kakai, who plays for um, Wickham Wanderers, and then obviously Stephen Cocker, who we, who we've already mentioned. So. It's it's a great story. I am personally rooting for them to get out of the group. I really hope that they, they go and do it. Wonderful stuff. And Graham, a quick note on Ivory Coast as well. Uh, Nicola Pepe, who was um, broken out of Arteta prison to do some yeah. good things here. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the, the anti-Obamayang, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've spoken about him before on the, on the podcast. Joe had some interesting thoughts um, on the Weekend Review about how Ivory Coast um, are set up. I would echo a lot of those thoughts. I, I like the, the balance of their attack. So they have Wilfred Zaha on the left, Nicola Pepe on the right, and then Sebastian Hilaire through the centre. Um, in terms of a front three, I don't see a stronger front three in this in this tournament. I, I like how that you know um, Pepe and, and Zaha are, are are wingers, you know, true wingers, and then Hilaire, who he does involve himself a lot in the build up play, but obviously he's quite an orthodox front man. And I, I just think I, I like the balance of that, and especially when you have a midfield and behind them a midfield three of Kessie and and Sangari, who's um, highly rated young midfielder for PSV. Well, he's maybe not that young. I think he's maybe 24, 25. But then you have uh, Seri as well, whose career maybe hasn't panned out as we all thought he would. Remember, he was on his way to Barcelona and then ended up at Fulham, um, which was a strange one, but he's still a high-quality player. So basically what I'm saying is I I like the Ivory Coast setup and I like that attack with Pepe in particular. Yeah, so Group E, the group of interestingness, is delicately poised. Ivory Coast versus Algeria and Sierra Leone against Equatorial Guinea on Thursday. Taylor, anything more on the group of interestingness before we move on to the group of much less interestingness? (laughs) Yes, I have a philosophical question that I do not have written down, but I will try to uh, make sense on the fly. Uh, If a game occurs and Wilfred Zaha is playing in it and doesn't get horrifically foul, has that game actually occurred? Because it does feel to me like no matter where he is playing, club or country, he will be fouled horrifically at least once a game. Obviously, that was the case for the Sierra Leone uh, penalty that was conceded. I feel like I always see him just getting cleared out at least once a game. And it feels like if he doesn't, I'm not sure that game actually took place. (laughs) I think I just achieved a moment of zen thinking about your conundrum there. Thank you very much for that, Taylor. 
That's what I'm going for, baby. That's what I'm going for. All right, let's last. Uh, let's finish off with Group F, which also finishes on Thursday. Uh, Gambia at the top at the moment with four points. Mali in second place. Tunisia in third, and Mauritania, who are eliminated from this group, with Nilpois in fourth place. Uh, Mauritania, like Comoros, are in this tournament for the first time in their history. It's a pretty big uh, country by landmass. Certainly, it's next to Mali and north of Senegal in the northwest of the continent. Uh, honestly, gents, I don't have much on this group apart from this is where the referee tried to end the game several times <laughs> in, that, in that opening uh, weekend, Graham. Yeah, I mean, that that was the... Um, one of the biggest talking points of the of the whole uh, of the whole tournament. It was one of those things where I had people who I know are not watching much of Africa Cup of Nations at the moment. That you know they were messaging um, me about that for anyone who hasn't seen it. So um, it happened in a match between Tunisia and Mali. Um, the match was ended prematurely, um, not once but twice. <laughs> so basically, the referee, a Zambian named um, Jani Sakawi. I apologise if I have mispronounced that, but he's initially signalled for full-time on 86 minutes. He ended the match. Um, the players then said, oh, wait, no, there's still like five minutes to go, plus stoppage time. He then ended it again on 49 minutes and 44, 89 minutes and 44 seconds. Um, and the players left the pitch, and then there were more complaints. And then 20 minutes later, after the, the Mali manager's post-match press conference had begun and the Tunisian players were in their ice baths and everything, the, the tournament organisers ordered the players to return to the field to play out the closing seconds and injury time, but then Tunisia's players didn't return to the pitch, and then Mali were just declared winners. And then, um, in, in typical, <laughs> this tournament can be quite chaotic. I, I don't think anything else is happening. I, I, it's not like there's going to be an investigation or anything. I think they just went, oh, well, okay, 89 minutes, 44 seconds. It was unlikely anything more was going to happen. It was a strange episode. It was indeed. Uh, Taylor, any thoughts on this group? It feels like the winner of this tournament probably isn't coming from Group F. Yeah, I think so. But I honestly, I can't tell if that is, like, I'll speak for myself and just say my bias because I know probably the least about this group of any of the groups. I feel like there are fewer household names across the board. I feel like of the teams that I do know, like I know the most players from Mali, but I wouldn't go far enough to say that I know them with any level of like fluency. So if anything, I think this is one that maybe I need to pay a bit more attention to as we have this final, this final game, because it could, could go either way with three teams all in contention uh, to finish top or at the very least uh, make it to the next round. And as we've talked about previously, there are exciting players with each team, including with Tunisia. Graham, I know that you wanted to keep an eye on uh, Hannibal Mesbury, the Manchester United player. I, I have yeah. not paid much attention to him, so I do not know how well he has been doing. I'm assuming he's doing better than El Bilal uh, Toure, playing for Mali in that Tunisia game. Subs on in the 81st minute, red card in the 87th. I don't feel like... Ooh. That was the strongest performance we've seen, but it is one of the most interesting ones. So I wanted to make sure to note it before we wrapped up. Wonderful stuff. Before we do wrap up, gents, one final question for you both. If you had to place a bet on the winner of this tournament at this stage where we are, who's it going to be? For me, it's Senegal. I feel like they're going to Portugal their way through this thing. Graham? Uh, Nigeria. I've learned my lesson from the Euros where... Italy were the best team early on and there's this weird um this weird train of thought that says the teams that start international tournaments don't win uh, start them well don't win international tournaments and then Italy obviously as you'll remember well Ryan Bailey uh went on to win that tournament 
And so I'm just going to say Nigeria. They've started the best, so why not? I don't have any other evidence to, su- to suggest there's a better team out there right now. So, yeah. Fair enough, Taylor. Yep, uh, I'll go with Graham. I'll say Nigeria. I think Senegal's a good shout, though, Ryan, because they could be that team that grinds their way to the final. They could also be that team... Again, the Spain connection that we keep expecting. Like, yeah, but next game, they're going to light it up. They've got the talent. We know they will. Oh, no, it was a nil-nil draw, and they won on penalties. And eventually, they get knocked out and never quite come good. So I could see that happening with Senegal. could also see them making the final and winning it in dramatic fashion or grinding fashion. But I'm leaning towards Nigeria because I think they will give us the best opportunity for a spectacle in the final and every game along the way. Wonderful stuff. That final taking place on February 6th. I remind you, um, the group stage is finishing up on Thursday, the round of 16 starting on Sunday. And we'll be talking plenty more about this tournament on Total Soccer Show. Oh, Taylor, I forgot. We should do probably about 20 minutes or so extolling the virtues of being sports' coverage, right? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, at least 20 minutes, if not 40 minutes. (laughs) Well, maybe we'll do that, but technical difficulties will edit that out, which will be (laughs) ironic in some ways. Uh, In the meantime, Graham Rudman, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ryan. Taylor Rockwell, thanking you kindly. Uh, thank you, Ryan, and thank you to whomever wins Group F uh, for probably winning AFCON because we have jinxed everyone else. <laughs> yeah, they're going to make us look bad, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, listen yep. up. Thank you so much. We'll be back with another one soon. Bye.